Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. I'm Jim Dubois. Election Day was this past Tuesday, but we're still awaiting the results of several key races, which will decide which party will control Congress. This week on Dialogue Minnesota, University of Minnesota Associate Professor of Political Science Catherine Pearson joins us with an election analysis. Professor Pearson, welcome back to Dialogue Minnesota. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here. The anticipated red wave did not materialize on election night. Did the results on Tuesday surprise you at all? Yes, they did. Uh, Political scientists have studied midterm elections uh, extensively, and given the fact that Democrats hold the White House and President Biden's popularity is pretty low, hovering in the low 40s, the expectation was based on economic forecasting models and sort of understanding these fundamentals that Republicans would pick up uh, many House seats. And while Republicans did pick up House seats, uh, the gains are clearly not as extensive as expected, um, as Republicans haven't yet reached that 218 magic number, and the Senate is still too close to call. And usually in wave election years, um, competitive races in state legislatures and for the governor's office all go toward the party that does not occupy the White House. And that just didn't happen on election night. While many media outlets jumped on the story that Republicans didn't do as well as expected, it seems increasingly likely, as you said, that they will retake the House and the Senate remains in play. Are the Democrats perhaps a bit premature in celebrating the midterms as a success for the party? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Um, Nationwide, if you sort of add up the state legislative races and the governor's races, it definitely was a better night for Democrats than anyone expected. Um, But you're absolutely right. It looks very likely that Republicans will uh, take control of majority party control of the House of Representatives, which will mean that President Biden's agenda will hit many roadblocks going forward. Um, Democrats won't be able to use, for example, the reconciliation process um, to pass Uh, major legislation as they have during the past few years. But uh, four states went solidly Democratic, uh, Minnesota, Michigan, uh, Maine, Maryland. So Democrats did have a better night than expected. There's no doubt about that. In what areas of the country did Republicans do well and where did Democrats do well? Republicans did extremely well in Florida and New York. If you look at statewide races, if you look at pickups in House seats, I think it is possible um, that the pickups in Florida and New York alone will be enough to give Republicans majority party control of the House when all the ballots are counted. Um, We'll see. But those are two states where Republicans did extremely well. And um, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, won quickly and easily on election night. And that was a big victory for him uh, in his own governor's race, but it was probably a bigger victory for him as he thinks about his position going into the 2024 elections. What victories or upsets surprised you the most on election night? Well, I was not that uh, the DFL would would enjoy unified party control in St. Paul in January. 
Um, so clearly it's very narrow and we knew that, uh, whoever won the margins would be narrow, but for the DFL to retake, uh, the Minnesota Senate and to maintain the house and to win, uh, all four statewide races, particularly the governor's race by, uh, the margin that, that Waltz had was a bit of a surprise. Um, Minnesota is a state that leans democratic, but yet in a year that's good for Republicans, I expected the statewide candidates to be more competitive and I thought that the Democrats' best hope was to maintain control of the House, uh, but I, I wasn't thinking that they would regain the Senate. So that was certainly surprising. Um, the fact that uh, Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, um, that race has not been called. She's narrowly ahead in Colorado. That is a solidly Republican district. So, you know, there were some surprises like that on election night. But the bottom line is... Um, in many states, uh, Democrats and re Republicans are pretty evenly and narrowly divided. And so the fact that there's so many competitive races um, and so many that haven't been called, at some level really isn't that surprising. Was election night a good night for first-time candidates and challengers, or was it a better night for incumbents? I think overall it was a better night for incumbents. Um, if you look to Wisconsin, for example, um, again, uh, a state where Democrats and Republicans are pretty evenly divided, um, Governor Evers, the incumbent, hangs on uh, his, his uh, position as governor, but yet Republican incumbent Ron Johnson holds on to his U.S. Senate seat. So their uh, incumbents did pretty well. Um, that's not to say that there weren't some surprises, um, it, it, both in uh, congressional races uh, and, and other races, looking at incumbents who were defeated. But by and large, the incumbency advantage does appear to have helped candidates in tight races. There's still likely a lot of data to suss out from exit polls, but from what you've seen so far, what issues were most important to voters this year? Well, we know the economy was important. Uh, we know inflation was important. But we also know that abortion was important. And although it never topped the economy and inflation um, in polls, the fact that it regularly showed up in polls is a change from the past. And of course, uh, that is due to the Dobbs decision back in June. And uh, DFL candidates talked a lot about abortion. And I think that issue really motivated the Democratic base to come out and vote. We saw in the state's that had uh, initiatives um, about abortion, that all of the states that had abortion on the ballot um, passed an initiative um, at the statewide level uh, to uh, maintain abortion rights. Since he emerged as the Republican presidential frontrunner in 2016, former President Trump has been a powerful and often divisive force in the GOP. How did the candidates who aligned with Trump or had his endorsement fare on Tuesday night? Not very well. Um, and that narrative uh, has definitely been one that has been repeated many times since election night that uh, former President Trump's candidates did not perform um, as anticipated. J.D. Vance, uh, the Republican candidate for Senate in Ohio, is certainly a notable exception. He won He won easily early on election night. Um, but if you look at Mehmet Oz uh, in Pennsylvania, President Trump's endorsement of Oz likely helped him win that Republican 
Harry. And then uh, he lost decisively on election night. And Pennsylvania is a state uh, that a Republican could have won if it had been a different Republican who would run a better campaign. So that was clearly uh, a failure for the former president. And then in Arizona, uh, the president endorsed Carrie Lake, uh, a 2020 election denier, is governor in Arizona. And that race is still too close to call. But certainly um, his endorsement did not help Republicans in Arizona. Well, as you mentioned, Governor Ron DeSantis handily won re-election, and Tuesday was a good night for Republicans in the state of Florida. Did this win give DeSantis a boost for a presidential run in 2024? Yes. There's no question that now uh, DeSantis, he was always going to be a contender, but his win um, in what used to be considered a swing state definitely gives him an an advantage going into the nominating contest. Now, how that will translate in terms of endorsements and money is too soon to tell, but there's no doubt that the narrative uh, coming out of the 2022 midterms is that um, DeSantis really helped Republicans in Florida and Trump um, contributed to some key Republican losses across the country. Well, neither DeSantis nor Trump have formally announced their candidacy for the GOP nomination for president in 2024. But given the current situation, do you see a coming showdown between Trump and DeSantis as likely? Yes, I do. And we're already seeing play out uh, with the former president uh, insulting DeSantis and um, uh, and sort of clearly realizing that um, if the former president does announce um, on November 15th, as many anticipate, he, say he, he says he has an important announcement that uh, they will be quite competitive um, if they indeed both run. Turning to the Minnesota races, Trump endorsed Dr. Scott Jensen for governor and Kim Crockett for secretary of state, both of whom lost. What does this say about President Trump's influence on the GOP in Minnesota? Well, significantly, he endorsed them very late in the press. And so unlike some of these other races that we're talking about, his endorsement was not key to their primary win, uh, for example. And neither candidate really touted the former president's endorsement very much, sort of, I think, realizing that in Minnesota, it would not help them with independent voters. Um, But it does that uh, President Trump is not popular in Minnesota. I mean, he's lost Minnesota twice um, by a a greater margin in 2020, of course. But it does speak to some of the the factions and the divides within the Republican Party. We saw those divides play out uh, at the Republican convention. And I think that less extreme Republican candidates statewide would have likely done better. Um, I don't know that they would have won uh, the the margin of victory for Governor Waltz and Secretary of State's Steve Simon were, were pretty su- substantial. Um, but I don't think that the Trump style of do well in Minnesota. Many elections have shown that. The Democrats have a split in their party between progressives and moderates. How would you compare the performance of progressive Democratic candidates versus moderates on Tuesday night? Well, it really depends which districts we're talking about. So, for example, uh, Congresswoman Angie Craig from Minnesota's 2nd District uh, is a moderate, and she campaigns and governs as a moderate, and she uh, um, defeated her challenger, uh, Tyler Kistner, by a bigger margin than people were anticipating. Um, This was a rematch for them. She had also defeated him in 2020. On the other hand, um, progressive Democrats Minnesota, for the most part, won their seats uh, quite easily as well. And so a lot of the differences really 
have to do with uh, the districts that they that they represent. And by and large, moderates tend to represent um, swing districts. And so it's harder for moderates. Um, but moderates in uh, the DFL did did pretty well on election night. There was a surprise uh, that Mary Murphy, a long, longest serving incumbent um, moderate DFLer in the in the state house lost. Um, but, but nonetheless, uh, DFLers did pretty well on election night in Minnesota. After the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, many predicted that women would be motivated by this decision. Was there a strong turnout by women in this election who were energized by the abortion issue? And did they tend to vote for Democrats? Yes. Uh, The answer to both those questions is yes. Um, Since 1980, there has been a gender gap in the electorate where women are more likely to identify as Democrats and vote for Democrats than men are. Um, The source of that gender gap, by and large, is actually not uh, disagreement over abortion. The source of the gender gap overall is uh, disagreement over the size of government and the role of government. Having said that, I think this election cycle was a little bit different in terms of motivation. that uh, women were motivated uh, to come to come to the polls. Um, it, you know that said, we'll we'll look at the final exit polls as they is the and results as they continue to trickle in. Um, but partisan differences above all else sort of explain uh, differences on positions on abortion. But women are more likely to identify as Democrats um, and to support abortion rights. How did women candidates for both parties fare in this election? Was any progress made toward creating a more gender-balanced Congress? No. In fact, the number of women will go down um, in the 118th Congress. Caveats in that many of the races haven't been called, uh, but but it looks like um, uh, the number of women in the U.S. Congress and the U.S. House will go down pretty significantly. Um, So far, there's a drop among women in both parties. And that's not necessarily because women are more likely to lose, although some prominent women in the House have lost, such as Elaine Luria in Virginia, um, but just uh, the numbers of new women running weren't high enough to bring in a new cohort of women, uh, and then many women have also retired. We talked about a potential Trump versus DeSantis showdown for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. On the Democratic side, we don't know yet if President Biden will run for re-election, and some Democrats are hinting that Biden may not be the party's best choice for 2024. What signals did this election send to Democrats who may be thinking about seeking their party's nomination in 2024? Well, that is, uh, that's a tough question, and I think uh, Democrats will certainly be looking to the Republican Party to see what they're doing, because I think that many Democrats actually do think that Biden would be the best choice to run against former President Trump. But I think it's less clear that he would be the best choice to run against a uh, a Governor DeSantis. And so the other question, of course, that is complicated for Democrats is, if not, not Biden, then who would be the best choice? Um, and, and that is not particularly clear. And so after the 2016 election, um, Democrats were looking first and foremost, to the most electable candidate. I don't know that Joe Biden sort of generated the most enthusiasm among Democrats, but Democrats were enthusiastic about him because they thought that he offered the best chance of defeating President Trump, which indeed he did. Um, And that calculation will certainly be on 
minds as they think about 2024. Um, there are obviously a lot of talented Democratic senators who could get in the mix. Um, but I think a key question for Democratic activists and those who donate money and endorse would be, you know, would any of these candidates be more electable in a general election than President Biden? And I don't know the answer to that. In Minnesota, there was definitely not a red wave on election night. In his concession speech, GOP gubernatorial candidate Scott Jensen said a blue wave had actually swept through the state on Tuesday with all the Democratic incumbent constitutional officers winning their races. The DFL also held on to its House majority and picked up the Senate. Was Jensen's characterization of a Minnesota blue wave accurate? know that I would call it a blue wave. There is no doubt that it was a surprisingly good night for the DFL in Minnesota. Um, but if we were truly to see a wave, that would have meant that DFL candidates um, won in every competitive legislative election, and we did not see that happen. Um, there were many competitive elections where Republicans indeed won, um, but Democrats just won a surprising number of them, enough to uh, maintain the majority in the House and take the majority in the Senate. And then, of course, the statewide candidates all won, even if two of them did win narrowly. With the Democrats in full control in Minnesota now, what do you expect Governor Walls will try to accomplish in the 2023 legislative session? Well, I think that there are a lot of Democrats that are likely already making demands on on Governor Waltz. Um, $9 billion surplus, which is really extraordinary. Um, Democrats and Republicans got close to a compromise on that surplus in the last session. And uh, I suspect that Democrats are breathing a sigh of relief that they didn't reach a compromise and Republicans are not happy about that. Um, It was surprising at the time. Um, Perhaps uh, some thought that Republicans were strategically waiting until they may have enjoyed majority party control of both uh, legislative chambers, which obviously did not happen. So I think Democrats will feel a lot of pressure to um, uh, spend additional funds on education, uh, on sort of health and human services, on the environment, also to legalize marijuana. That's been an issue that um, has long been discussed. And so I think that there will be just a lot of issues sort of coming to the forefront, um, some that were worked out in the last session and some that will be new. Uh, and obviously, Democrats are in a great position in Minnesota. That said, the majorities are extraordinarily narrow. And so in order to pass this legislation, um, they'll need every vote in the Senate and nearly every vote in the House. And so compromises within the party will still need to be made. Um, I'm sure there'll be some effort to reach out to to some as well, but in this polarized era, I'm not sure how that will go. It looks like the GOP will control the U.S. House of Representatives. What does this mean for Minnesota Republicans? I'm thinking uh, in particular of 6th District Congressman Tom Emmer. Uh, Will he perhaps have a more prominent position within the party, assuming the GOP takes control of the House? And that is a great question. So uh, before the election, a lot has a lot was made about the fact that Emmer is one of three Republicans who would be vying for the position of Republican whip. And so that is, you know, a, a senior leadership position. Um, and Emmer seems well positioned to do so. He has been the chair of the National Republican uh, Congressional Committee. So in other words, in charge of Republicans House candidates, um, recruiting, funding, sort of getting the party to victory, and certainly regaining majority party control is a lot to celebrate. 
On the other hand, House Republicans did not have the night that they were anticipating. Um, the gains are not certainly not as large as anticipated. And so I'm not sure how costly that will be to Emmer in the battle. He's clearly well-respected by his Republican colleagues uh, and well-positioned to be in the leadership. But the thinking was that uh, the election would be a big victory for him. Um, and although it still seems like it will be a victory, I don't know that it will be quite as big as he was anticipating or how that will affect his leadership bid. The midterms are often positioned by the media and political pundits as a referendum on the president or the party in power. Do you think the issues that were of concern for Minnesota voters mirrored those of voters nationwide or were there specific local issues that drove Minnesota voters to the polls? I think this was a very nationalized election, both in Minnesota and across the country. Um, Minnesotans, uh, the candidates and voters alike were talking about the economy, they were talking about inflation, they were talking about crime, and they were talking about abortion. And those are the same issues that candidates were talking about nationwide. Um, now, that doesn't mean that, you know, when some of the legislative candidates were door knocking, they were not also mentioning issues specific to, to their legislative districts and communities and neighborhoods, but the elections were really very nationalized. Incumbent DFL Attorney General Keith Ellison held on to his seat by about a 20,000-vote margin, much tighter than other state races where incumbent DFL constitutional officers defeated their GOP challengers. Does Ellison's comparatively underperformance on Tuesday night signal that Minnesotans split their ballots between party lines in this particular race? Well, that is always sort of the, the narrative, um, is that Minnesotans like to split their ticket. But if you actually get the votes, I mean, most partisans still voted straight party line. But it didn't take that many Minnesotans to either split their tickets or to uh, drop off. In other words, vote for the top of the ticket, but not some of the, the other races, um, such as Ellison's, to produce this result. So the vast majority of Minnesotans probably voted straight party line, but enough supported Waltz and not Ellison to create this difference. The Georgia Senate race will not be decided until after a runoff between Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock and GOP challenger Herschel Walker. That's because neither candidate received over 50% of the vote on election day, and according to Georgia law, such an election has to go to a runoff. A Libertarian Party candidate received just over 2% of the vote. Let's talk about the role of third parties in this election. Did any make a significant showing, or do many of them simply play the role of spoiler for a major party candidate? In large, they play the role of spoiler. And that is particularly true in uh, the two states that require a runoff if neither party's candidate gets to that 50% plus one margin. Minnesota obviously does not have that rule. Um, otherwise, we'd be going to a runoff um, for some of these races. So third party candidates, you know, in those states really affect the outcomes, but they can affect the outcomes in places as well if voters are voting third party candidate instead of one of the two major party candidates, even if, uh, you know, absent the third party candidate, they would have voted for them. But what we don't know about third party candidates is whether or not uh, the voters who support them would just not vote in that race otherwise, or if they would give their vote to, to someone else. The other way in which third party candidates are affecting the race is they encourage voters to talk about their issues. Um, certainly the presence of the um, marijuana candidates, uh, I think, really prompted Democrats to keep talking about the legalization of marijuana um, to try to ensure that third party candidates didn't siphon support from them.
So far, it seems that candidates from both parties have been fairly gracious losers. They have uh, made concession speeches where they acknowledged that they lost the election. Uh, they congratulated their opponent. Uh, do you think this is a, a, a trend, perhaps, that we might see some of this uh, election denialism go away uh, in this, uh, following this cycle, or is this an anomaly? I certainly hope it's a trend. It has been a great relief to see um, the losers concede. Uh, it's It seems striking to have to say that. Um, this particular point, it has been a real relief to see uh, so many candidates who have lost, including those who have denied the results of 2020, concede their own races. Now, we'll see what happens in Arizona. Um, with uh, gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake in that very close election. She has made false allegations about Arizona election workers. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. There are several outstanding elections, not just in Congress, but also at the uh, state level and even the local level. A, a few that come to mind, uh, two in particular, one is the uh, gubernatorial race in Oregon, where there's a very tight race between the Democratic and the Republican candidates. Uh, if by chance, the uh, governor's seat in Oregon would flip to the GOP. That would be the first time in 40 years that a Democrat has not held that seat in Oregon. We're also seeing something rather interesting playing out in Los Angeles, the mayoral race, where there is a, a billionaire business person challenging the Democrat, and that race is coming down to the wire as well. Do you think in those particular locations, and maybe we tie in a third one here, we know that in uh, the suburbs surrounding New York City, uh, there was a swing to the GOP as well. So if we look at Los Angeles, New York, and uh, at the state level in Oregon, we've had obviously some crime issues uh, in, in the uh, Portland area. Do you think crime may be weighing on these particular races and, and might be one of the reasons why more voters tacked to a GOP candidate? in areas that are normally considered pretty safe for Democrats? I do. I, I mean, I think all of the issues are still in the mix and the fact that the election fundamentals still favored Republicans um, because President Biden occupies the White House and is not very popular and the economy is struggling. So all those things still matter. But yes, I do think crime had a particular impact on some of these races. Let's talk about some of the demographics coming out on the exit polls. We did hear that Younger voters showed up in greater numbers than uh, was anticipated. And also some interesting trends. Uh, I think an AP poll was indicating that more younger blacks tacked to the GOP in the midterm elections. We also know there was some loss of uh, Latino voters to the GOP, too. Normally, uh, Latino voters have been pretty loyal to the Democratic Party. Uh, do you think it's a little too early to try and draw any conclusions about whether these trends uh, will continue. Uh, and should the Democrats uh, be concerned, especially with the potential loss of, of two uh, bases that uh, have been a very important part of uh, the party's support? I think overall, when looking at younger voters, um, Democrats uh, should be encouraged um, because the youngest age group, uh, whether it's 18 to 25 or 18 to 29, however you parse it out, is the most democratically inclined uh, age cohort in the country. And political science tells us that partisan identification for most voters is actually fairly stable. Um, so to the extent that younger voters are voting Democratic, those voters will likely continue to vote Democratic. Now, uh, turnout 
higher than anticipated among younger voters, but it was still lower than every other age cohort. So Democrats are well aware of this and really tried to mobilize younger voters um, because of this issue. And we actually, I think, you know, same day registration states likely will see out of younger voters because younger voters are the most resident, residentially mobile. And so um, in general, I think Democrats are encouraged by the vote choices of younger voters, um, but really need to uh, not take them for granted, especially as they're harder to mobilize to turn out. Catherine Pearson is an associate professor of political science at the University of Minnesota. Professor Pearson, thanks again for joining us on Dialogue Minnesota. My pleasure, Jim. Great to be with you.